Thank you. Wonderful. Great. It is such a privilege to be here, as I said last night, and uh, really looking forward to everything that God's going to do. I think it's um, just stunning what, what Jeremy, what you shared earlier, it was just so inspiring. And I think, you know, I trust you kind of caught what, what God is doing in our day uh, and what we are on, on the edge of. And I, I really kind of wanted to just continue um, with that thought of uh, that story out of Two Kings, um, particularly. And um, it's a, it can be a real provocation for us. So go, go read that story, read around what was going on at the time. Um, and there's a lot I think we can learn and apply uh, from that. And that's really what I want to do in this, this much shorter session, is to look at like, what does a spade look like, what does a ditch look like, and how do we actually dig it, the practicalities of what that's going to look like in our churches. Um, and uh, that's really what I felt I wanted to do uh, in this session. Um, and a lot of people have asked me over, over the years, over recent years, particularly when they see stuff that's going on in Horsham, is they come and they want to know, what's the silver bullet? Do you know what I mean? What's the one thing that I need to do to get everything that you're seeing? Um, and there, there isn't a silver bullet. There's a lot of dig ditch, uh, ditches to dig, um, and there's a lot of work to do. But if there is a silver bullet, it was the thing that I shared with you last night, and that's hunger. It's a hunger and a thirsting after him and him alone, and that is what gives us the impetus to dig the ditches that we, we need, to, need to dig. And I think um, is as, as I've got hungry, you begin to see things very differently um, in terms of what you want to put your, your effort into, and... Um, I think, actually, if you look at the story of, uh, that, that Jeremy outlined, you've got these three kings um, that come together. And at, but at the point that they go and get Elisha, they've been wandering around for seven days. Just wandering around. They've got no water, and they're just wandering around. They didn't even know Elisha was there. So it was, is there a man of God? Is there someone? Um, and there's that sense of them just wandering around in a bit of a rut, to be honest. And a rut is usually developed over time, isn't it? It's a condition where we find ourselves in an unchanging routine or pattern of behaviour that's difficult to spot and very difficult, therefore, to get out of. That's what a rut is. And the reality is, don't get confused a rut is not a ditch a rut is not a ditch and um it 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 can it can develop very easily a rut even doing good things you keep doing them you keep doing them and actually you can find yourself in a rut and um it's something that i think we have to watch out for and we don't confuse our ruts with what we think might be a ditch um and um I don't think that there are many areas of life where we're immune from getting into a rut. And uh, I think we need to be really careful about that. It's so easy for us to fall into ruts in our, in our marriages, in our ministry methodologies, even our spiritual lives. We can easily get into a rut. And a rut, in case you are unsure, is just a grave with the ends kicked out. And so we have to be careful that we're not sort of 
stuck in that rut. It's not a ditch. Um, and that's something I really felt as I was preparing sort of to emphasize, you know, that a rut is produced by continually walking in an unplanned path that's destined to contain nothing. A rut is destined to contain nothing. But a ditch is dug to contain something. It's planned. It has a purpose to carry what God is going to pour out. And a ditch is designed to send what flows through it somewhere. That's what a ditch is. It's deliberately dug to send something somewhere. Um, uh, and it's deliberately dug. It releases life. It releases refreshment. But a rut is, is an unintentional drain. Because it will just look to contain whatever's in it. And it will eventually just drain away and produce nothing. Um, and that, I think, is where we have to ask ourselves, where have we ended up in a rut? One rut that we can get into if we're not careful, is a theological rut. Yep, I will go there. We can get into a theological rut. One thing I'm becoming more and more aware of is is that our amazing Father God will not be confined to the limitations of my intellect. He continually surprises me, does the unexpected, and often crosses theological boundaries that I've created through my own thinking. Now, please hear me. Theology is really important. I love it. It's essential to teach it. I study it. I want to I wanna sort of put myself into more understanding and, and get hold of it. But I don't worship it. I worship him, the one my theology looks to explain. My systems of theology are not my God. He is my God. And my theology looks to express and explain him who is beyond explanation. My finite mind looks to explain the infinite one. And so we have to be careful that we understand that my theology is scratching at the surface of the Almighty One. And I know the more I get to know of Him, the more I tend to realize how inadequate my theology can be. You've all got really quiet. Oh, thank you, Jesus. One Corinthians, let's get some Bible in there quick. Let's, oh, oh, quick. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 to 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I am fully known. We only see in part. Our knowledge of God is being un raveled, unveiled as my relationship with him grows. We only see a a dim reflection, but as my relationship with him grows, so does my knowledge and my understanding of him grow till one day I will fully know. And so my revelation is 
always expanding. It's never static. If I think exactly the same way I did about everything I've done for the last 30 years, then I'm already saying I fully know. I'm not saying it's just in a mirror dimly. And it's important that we we recognise that. That there's stuff we've still yet to learn, yet to understand. And I was asked to speak at a conference last year, uh, interestingly, um, in a, a group of churches that I have no connection with. It's nothing like New Frontiers. Um, and in fact, the guy that, that, uh, that would head up that, that apostolic ministry wrote a book called When Word and Spirit Collides. Anybody read that book? Read that book. It's based on that Smith Wigglesworth prophecy that Jeremy referred to and it is an amazing book and when I read the book I wrote to the author and said this is amazing this is incredible Um, and after a while he contacted me back and said let's go for a coffee and we chatted and he would be he paints this caricature and let's be honest that's what it is Jeremy's right we all want to be kind of word and spirit but he painted this caricature of the spirit churches as as was referred to in Smith Wigglesworth prophecy um, which he would say he was. That would be that would be the caricature that he has. Um, and he was really interested in some of the comments I was making because he would see New Frontiers as being the caricature of a word church. Now we would both say we're both word and spirit. So would he. So would us. But in terms of that caricature, um, that's where he was. And so I was asked to, or we, uh, one of my uh, other elders and I. He was running this guy was running a conference, Word and Spirit Leaders Conference. So we snuck in. We thought we'd go, and then I got a phone call the day before from him going, I've just seen you've booked in. So I said, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you want to speak in the first session? I'm like, okay. Um, but then we thought, we won't know anyone. There's nobody from New Frontiers there, so we'll be all right. And, uh, what, and I didn't know anyone there. And what he asked me, he said, look, can you talk about... You know, your relationship with Bethel. You have quite a strong relationship with the Bethel church, which he would see in that caricature of being very spirit, and New Frontiers would see as being very in that caricature of being words. So he said, could you talk to that? And, uh, and when I spoke, I said this. You know, I said that actually we draw quite a lot of um, teaching from Bill Johnson and what comes out from, from Bethel Church. We love and honour the revelation that they have um, as a church. But you need to know that I don't agree with everything that Bill says. And I said, as a New Frontiers church... It was founded by Terry Virgo. I have the privilege of knowing him personally. And uh, we love and we honour everything that Terry has brought to the table. But you need to know that I don't always agree with everything that Terry says. Is this being recorded? <laughs> and then I said this. I said, I listened to a sermon that I preached two years ago. And I'm not even sure I agree with what I said. Because my understanding, my revelation is unveiling. And when I had that encounter that I told you about last night, of understanding who I was, my constant refrain was, how can I have been a Christian for 30 years and not know this? Because when I was a child, I thought like a child. And then I put off childish ways. And there's that revelation unfold. So we need to make sure that we're not getting in a, in, in a, in a, um, a ditch 
over our theology that there's space for fresh revelation to come. Now, there's stuff we hold tightly. Okay, let me do, don't hear what I'm not saying. We hold stuff tightly, but I think you'll find there's a lot of stuff we put into this hand that doesn't need to be in this hand. It needs to be in this hand, which is a bit more open. This hand I'll fight you with and I'll give you a good lump. This hand you might just get a few slaps, but it's open. Just saying. We'll have a fist fight over this one. But let's be careful we're not taking stuff that's in this hand and putting it in this hand. Let's not get into a rut. The other rut we can get into is a philosophy of ministry rut. How we do church. I was at a meeting where the guy of the largest vineyard church in the States was asked a question. He said, what do you think the biggest danger facing New Frontiers is right now? And his answer was profound. What he said was, was that when Terry and the guys started New Frontiers, there was a particular set of cultural problems that they were looking to solve. And they built church and their methodology of church around solving and addressing those issues. The biggest threat you have is if you continue to do those things when that problem is no longer a problem that needs solving, when you begin to answer questions no one is asking. And that's when we get into a ministry or philosophy of ministry rut. Otherwise it's religion. And I think there's a potential for us to get into a rut over how we do church, how we do kingdom because we end up answering questions no one's asking and we're not answering the questions people are asking so we need to be really really careful about that and I think one of the ruts that we get into is and I come from a commercial world so my background is is management big business all of that kind of stuff and and one of the concerns I have is is that I see many of the techniques that I used and that I learned in the marketplace coming into the church, which in and of itself isn't a problem. There's a common grace, but predominantly these gifts of common grace that we draw into the church from big business are used to maximize profit, swell customer numbers, increase market share and brand awareness. And we need to be really careful that that's not what we're doing. That's not what we're building. We have a different why. And in business, you look at a what, why, how, all that kind of stuff. We have a different why. And we have to be careful that we're not using the what's and the how's of the world that are actually they're looking to produce a different why. Why can't I be really rich is normally the, the why. And so what I want us to do is to have a, a look this, this morning... This afternoon, yeah, this afternoon, about how we go about prepping for church. And so I'm going to use a thing I call the the culture, what I call culture squares. And this is something I would have used in business, and this is something that I used to use in church, okay? And you'll probably see how that works. You start with a what, which we don't call a what, we call it visions and values, okay? Um, Of course. And then what you look at next is the why. So what's the why? Of our mission, we'd call it. Next thing you end up with is a how. 
So what structure do you need to deliver what it is that you want to do? And then finally is the environment. And the reality is, folks, is, is that environment is normally an accidental byproduct of those other three. So let's have a look at some of that. So, the what? We want to build a big church, a church that is influential in our town. We want to build something of magnitude. So that's part of the what? We want to grow church. That might be part of your what. You might say, well, we're, two, we're 250, we want to get to 500. These are all things that we have done in our church leadership team. Okay? So this is, this is the reality of it. We then create a set of agreed values. What are we going for? Do you know what? I will give you free of charge this slide. All right, when I've done. When it's built up, you can have it. I'll give it to Graham or someone, you can send it out because I can see you kind of taking your pictures, which is fine. I'll just... Okay, now do it now. Do it now. Do it now. Are we done? Everybody finished? Right, okay. Woo! So, agreed values. The next one. Quick, help me out. Why are we doing it? Because we want people to go to heaven. Come on, we want, to, we want people to go to heaven. And then what we see is those two things influencing each other. Now we look at that and we look at the what's, how do we want to grow church, there are different ways we might start to think about that. We might we want people to go to heaven and we look at our churches and we think, there's not very many men in our churches. So we want, to, we want to do something that men can come to. We want to get a bit, whoa, a bit, whoa. We get rid of all the, the pink on the website. We want, to stop, we want to stop singing Jesus be my boyfriend. We're going we're gonna to do all of that, get rid of all of that. All right, and um, and we want to build something. And that's how we think when we start to think of the what. How are we going to do this? What is it we want to do? And those things then should influence the how. How are we going to do that? And often the how is built around a pastor-teacher model. Most of our churches are led in that way. We, we create a man of power for the hour. So who's the guy? Who's the guy that's going to get us where we want to go? Becomes quite a controlled environment. Okay, so we want to manage everything because we've got a very clear what. So we want to manage and control that. Everything that we do has now got to deliver the what. We centralize everything because that's how we control and manage things much better. So we don't get any lunatics doing stuff. Do you know what? It's just in the south, we have a lot of lunatics. I'm sure up north it doesn't, doesn't work like that. But, you know, we want to manage everything. We want the right people in the right place. We want them following our program, delivering our vision and values. That's what we want to do. And what tends to happen then is the inadvertent result is our environment. Now, what happens is people begin to feel, because the environment, the culture is what you feel. And so people can come away feeling like a cog in a wheel. They are a servant to the vision and the values. They're a servant to the what? They feel like, well, we just get to follow the rules. If we keep following the rules, we'll be all right. Because if we follow the rules, then we'll get a good and well done because that then pushes the vision, the values, and everything we're going for. What we then do, of course, is we applaud results. Because what we are all about is the what. We've built a structure to deliver the what. So when people start delivering the what, we applaud those results. We want that. Now what I want us to consider is rather than building church that way round, where as culture, 
is the unfortunate byproduct of everything else. Is maybe we need to start with a kingdom culture. And so rather than sitting in your churches ready to dig a ditch that says, okay, what's the what? How big do we want to be? How do we want to go? And often we do that. What's our plan over the next five years? How big do we want to be in five years? Let me ask you a question. Why don't you start with this? How do you want your church to feel in five years' time? What do you want people to come into your church and feel? Now, as a church, we are very welcoming as a church. Everybody that comes into membership, I always ask them, what's the one thing really that kind of drew you in? They said, you are so welcoming. We felt so welcome. And you know one thing that I've learned is of all the courses we run, we do not have a how to be welcoming course. Do you know why? It's in our culture. It's felt. People know. And so when they come in and they feel welcomed, what they naturally do is they become welcoming. And so it feels like that. I haven't run a vision and values day on welcoming. And so I want to build a church that feels like kingdom. I want to dig ditches that are going to flow out to kingdom and about kingdom. So, if we now have another look at our squares, but we're now going to start down here with our kingdom culture, then what's the first thing we look at is how do they now impact all of those other areas? So we're doing it the other way around. We want our culture to influence our what, our why, and our how. So, in our environment we had that you felt like a cog in a a wheel kind of feeling well we want to raise sons and daughters we don't want people to feel like they're just a small cog in a big machine we want to release people who are sons and daughters you know the inadvertent um, cultural response to that we haven't got many men in our churches and so we want to build something that's really war Women feel undervalued. Now, I'm pretty certain that none of you have a value that says we want to devalue women in our churches. I'm almost 100% sure about that. But it can easily be the inadvertent cultural outcome of starting with the wrong thing. And so people can feel like a cog in a wheel. Where they have to follow the rules, we want to say, no, we want people who are hungry for God themselves. We don't feel like it's just about following the rules. We want them to follow him. We want them to be pursuing him. They want to feel released to pursue God themselves. And where we applaud results, we want to honour courage. You see, I can go out on the street with you, and we could see two sick people... And we each go off and pray for them. And one of them gets healed and one of them doesn't. And what tends to happen is we come back and we tell the story of the one who is healed. And we applaud because we're applauding the result. Now don't get me wrong. We need to celebrate when God moves amazingly. So that's not what I'm saying. But why do we applaud the one guy and not the other? Because as Jeremy said brilliantly earlier, is that sense of we do what only we can do. 
And both those guys in that story did what only they could do. And we've got to leave the result for God to do what only he can do. And we applaud what God does, but actually together we want to applaud what we've done. We've demonstrated courage. We've gone and done what we've been asked to do. And God moved in one situation and not in the other in his sovereignty. I don't know why or how that works, but let's applaud courage. Because what it does is it excites us to go and have a go. Because that's all we can do is have a go and then leave God to do what only he can do. And so as we start with this kingdom culture, we then say, okay, well, if that's, if that's the culture, if that's the feel of what we want to build, that are the ditches that we want to dig, then what do we have to do in these other areas? So if we then look at our, our what and we say, okay, well, we want to build big church. How about building big people? We want to build big people who go to God for themselves, don't come running to their small group leader who then has to pass them up the chain of command to get everything done. That sounds a bit like Moses and Old Covenant stuff. New Covenant stuff says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. I want to, I want to build big people who know how to go to him to find their problems to be solved and to find the solutions in him. Now that's not to say we don't want another each other, of course we do. But there's that sense of dependency that's different. And so I don't want a, a big church of lots of people, although I do. But I want a big church full of big people. People that are on a mission themselves, who are, are pursuing God for themselves, who are sharing their faith for themselves, who are being courageous for themselves. And so when I think about growing church, I don't want to grow church, I want to advance the kingdom. And the reason I'm here is because I want to advance the kingdom. My church will not grow because I'm here. I could be spending my time with my small group leaders or whatever it is, looking to build my church, but actually God will build his church. Okay, We're called to advance the kingdom. And so if something that I've been re- had revealed to me, if God's given a deposit, the smallest thing that I can give away to you, and you can go away into your areas of influence and, and change those areas, then that's going to advance the kingdom, and that's what I'm all about. And it causes us to think differently. We get out of this territorialism, this political spirit that's rampant through churches. Yep, I said it. It is. It's about... Come with me, run my flag up your flagpole. It is. That's what I love with what Jeremy's doing with his partnerships. It blows all that out of the water. Let's just partner together for the kingdom, not for empires. And that changes changes everything. So we want to grow church. God will grow his church. We want to advance the kingdom. Agreed values, get rid of those. That's not to say we don't agree on values. But we don't gather to values, agreed values. We gather to apostolic fathers, and here's why. If you gather to agreement, there is no room for disagreement. If you gather to agreement, the only possible outcome of disagreement is to scatter. But if you gather to an apostolic father, there's room. For debate, discussion, and disagreement. Now, there's stuff in this hand. Unless two walk together in agreement. How can, or how, how can two not agreed walk together? We know that. But actually, the broader stuff. 
gather to fathers. We gather to apostolic fathers like Jeremy and, and others because there's this space. You think, Andy, I don't agree with everything you say. That's all right because in two years' time, I probably won't agree. So it's okay. We gather to fathers. We gather to values. There's no room for disagreement. Then you've got to follow the rules. Then you're going to feel like a cog in a wheel. Do you see? So we gather to apostolic fathers. Where are we? Oh, well, okay. So actually, our why changes a little bit. We're not just interested in seeing people go to heaven. We want to bring heaven to earth. <laughs> we want to bring the not yet of the kingdom into the now. You know, I said, you know, there's that whole kind of steak on a plate while you wait. It's that not pie in the sky when you die. It's, it's important that we, yes, we're going to heaven. Yes, I'm going to spend eternity with him. But yes, I get to start eternity now. I have an inheritance that's accessible to me now. And so actually, if we start with a kingdom culture, a kingdom mindset, we start to think differently about even the why. And what that does is that starts to change the how big time. So actually what we see in our structure is a, is a, is a tendency now towards apostles and prophets. Now we all know that. Church is built on the teaching of the apostles and prophets. But, but actually, if you think about how our churches operate, there can be a tendency much more towards the inward. I suspect your biggest challenge, because it's ours, is how do you turn people outwards? Would that be fair? Okay, so we run a, a kind of, with our, our small groups, we call it, you know, connect to Jesus, connect to one another, connect to the community. Some people call it up, in, out. There's a million different ways of doing it. I guarantee you, your biggest problem is out. You can get people to do the up, connecting to Jesus. You can connect, you do the in, growing and maturing and loving one another, doing all the one another and stuff, but you can't get the, the out. Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, you've got to ask yourself, why is that? And is it because we've got our ground-taking gifts, which are so important, and no one's all one thing or all the other, but actually, your, your pastor, your teacher, valuable gift, but actually, if they're the ones that are, are kind of wholly driving everything, then it will inevitably just tend in. Nothing wrong with that. We value it. I love it. But actually what we're talking about is I think we've done an amazing job in our churches. Pastoral, shepherding gifts, teaching gifts are way up here. But actually as we start to think about building kingdom culture, what we need to do is start raising the apostolic, the prophetic and the evangelist. And the trouble is why we can't get leaders to run our small groups? Struggling with that? It's because... You've mainlined it to a pastor-teacher role. And so all of your prophets, your apostolic gifts, your evangelistic gifts, will either try it and die trying, or they won't try it. That's why you can't raise them. And so what we need is that, that tendency towards that. Next point, Joss. Which is that rather than your man of power for the hour, you want these Ephesians 4 teams. You've got to find ways to release those gifts and create a group structure that allows all of them to operate. And so we want to build this Ephesians 4 teams. 
And that can happen at multiple levels. Obviously, there's this, your big Ephesians 4 teams, your, your, you know. But actually, as we're looking at how we're building teams in church, do you look at what I call the APES test? And you can Google that, and there's a test you can do, which is this, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, and then they call it shepherd teacher, just to make the, the, the phrase work rather than pastor teacher. But, and, and to find out, have you got a mixture of people lead, leading those teams? You believe in plurality of eldership? You do. I know you do. Yeah? Do you have plurality in your other teams? So in your home groups, do you have plurality? And I don't mean husband and wife, of course. We need that. But do you have wider than that? What do you do with single people? How do you build those Ephesians 4 teams in where all the gifts get moving through? You move from a controlled environment to freedom. There is no freedom without choice. So you've got to give space for people to choose what you don't want them to do. You get washed up on a desert island. You meet a guy there. You say, how long have you been here? He says, I've been here 10 years. And he says, oh, okay, so tell me about yourself. He says, he says I'm, a, I'm, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Really? How long have you been free from alcohol? 10 years. We'll find out if he's free when there's a choice. When we get picked up and there's a bar on the boat, then we'll find out if you're free. No freedom without choice. And that's dangerous if you're trying to build church. That's dangerous if you're trying to grow your church. Because people might choose to do things that make it look like you're not growing your church. Like not coming on a Sunday morning. Who knew? And then rather than centralise, we want the priesthood of all believers. We want everyone a minister. Everyone taking the kingdom where they're going. Alan Scott over in Coleraine, amazing man, well worth listening to a lot of the stuff. But he he said some things that have just totally freaked me out, to be honest with you. And he he said this at the Catalyst Festival, actually, um, which was a very... Deep silence came across the room. He asked us as leaders, how many of you on a Sunday morning have said, before the kids go out, can we just honour our Sunday school teachers? Can we just honour them? Let's thank them. They do such a stunning job every week. And we all kind of went, yeah, yeah, of course we do. Yeah, we're really good. We're really honouring. Yeah, you know. And then suddenly you feel like I've got my hand up and I'm about to get kicked in the teeth. And he said... They do an hour a week. One week in four. (laughs) Who's a teacher here? Eight days. Eight eight days a week with, with everything else. I know you have to do, don't you? Seven hours a day. Every day. Day in. Day out. When do we honour you? Now that isn't to say we don't honour our Sunday school teachers. We do. But we want to honour where people are taking the kingdom, wherever they are. Because actually we want to turn the church around. We want to dig our ditches that flow outwards, not that flow 
inwards. And when you look at this and the way we used to do it, it was all about bringing the blessing in. How do we catch the rain so we get the most water? Whereas now we're being called, let's dig ditches that send out. And so we want to send you teachers out. We want to send you carrying the kingdom wherever you go. And there's an amazing guy. You should get him to come and speak to your teachers. Um, in one of the churches I'm involved with, Jerry, he's just an incredible, he's one of these kind of super heads or something that, that kind of over multiple schools, turning schools around left and right. And the way he does it is he's constantly saying this. If I see a kingdom culture value, I see a kingdom culture expression, I, re- I encourage it to be released more. So when one of my Muslim teachers said, you should be loving one another, I applaud that and I release it because it's a kingdom principle. And what he says in his schools, he says, don't find the one thing to do 100% better Find a hundred things to do one percent better. And just keep going and just keep going and just keep going. And so when we want to dig these ditches, if we're if we're building kingdom culture, then those ditches are gonna flow out. We wanna we wanna see you come in, if you like, into the, the wetness of what the spirit is doing in us and send you out dripping. So what those ditches are gonna do, they're gonna take that flow of what God's doing amongst us out. When the river of God comes, it flows through the temple, but it's deepest, furthest away from the temple. And so as we dig those ditches, we want to send people out into the world. That's why we want to honour teachers. And I'm just using that as an example. There's a million others. Your PA guys. You know, you've got you know, professional PA guys, some of you in your churches we have, that are then at gigs and concerts and all of that kind of stuff in a dark world. We want them drenched with what God's doing and they take their light and shine in the darkness. Professional musicians. We've got guys that are in bands that you'll have heard of that tour and they disappear out of, you know, off our radar for six months at a time on tour. Man, we want them so drenched in what God's doing that they then take that out and we want to honour them. We do it great. Josh, Jen, we love you. Thanks for leading us in worship and they know I love them, so I can say this. We want to, and we do. But what about the musicians that are changing culture, changing the world? We want to honour them. That's what digging these ditches is all about. Let's not get in the rut of just going round the circles of church. How many leadership training? courses do you run for kingdom leaders in the marketplace so we've just run a we had a day for leaders uh, church leaders to say how we can learn to raise and release leaders kingdom leaders into the marketplace rather than all we think about is how we do it in church We've got to change the view because this is a rut that we've got in that the biggest achievement you can make, guys, in your leadership calling is to be an elder. I made a lady cry in my church. Happens quite a lot. But on this occasion, (laughs) on this occasion, what I said, yeah, I was often weeping. but (laughs) So on this occasion, this guy um, is the chief marketing officer for Aviva, biggest insurance company 
in Europe, I think. And I said to them both, and I said to him, please don't aspire to be an elder. And she burst into tears. And I thought, oh, I hope they haven't been prayed that you know, he'd be called into eldership. And what happened, she said, we've been in so many churches, and in every church they try and pull on the leadership gift to drag him into eldership. This guy is affecting culture in a big way, and I can't tell you how, because we are recording this. But when we're not recording it, ask me and I'll tell you. In a way that we couldn't hope to do even with the combined strength of all of our churches because we just haven't got that kind of money. And so we need to dig these ditches so that they are flowing out and we can send these ladies, these men into the world to affect rather than just trying to get them to drift drift back in and bolster up our churches. Yeah, this guy would be an excellent elder. But he'll make a much better executive officer in a big company. And so that's what we've got to start thinking differently. We're not trying to gather them in. Do you know the most holy part of your Sunday morning service? When is that? (laughs) Maybe we need to do a a multiple choice. (laughs) It's the end. It's when they all go home. When you send them out. Full of the glory of God, full of the zeal of God, dripping wet in the spirit, ready to take the kingdom wherever they have influence. The reason I want to build a big church is not so I can count how many I gather, it's so I can count how many I send. It's different. We've got to get out of the rut of our theological thinking, we've got to get out of the rut of our kind of methodology. It's not to say we throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's, I'm not saying everything is bad. Everything we've done is wrong. Let's just kill it all and let's just change and do it. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is work out what is still meat and what is now just the bone. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. Work it out. Work it out what that looks like for you. Because I'm sure if I gave you the New Frontiers list of values, we would all tick them. But I guarantee we all put a different weight and priority on them. Some of you will put a massive weight on care for the poor because the city or the place that you live in. We have, a, a, we have a, a care for the poor. We give financially to the poor. But there's very little evidence of us doing that in Horsham because it's Horsham and we have, you don't see anybody on the street sleeping out. You just don't happen. And so that's not to say we don't value it, but we don't put the same priority that someone maybe in Manchester or Birmingham might do because it's on their doorstep. So we recognise those things, and that's okay. But actually, what is it we're trying to achieve? We're trying to build kingdom. Then I might be able to influence the big insurance companies, the media, the TV, the arts, because that's where we carry those influences and we have that ability in a way that you don't. But equally, you have a way of influencing for the kingdom in a way that I don't. And so we've got to dig those. That's why the ditches had to go across the whole valley. And I'm sure they didn't all start in one place. Let's just go and we'll dig over there. We'll dig over there and we're going we're gonna to send these ditches out to carry the spirit. And so that's all I really wanted to kind of plant in your thinking as we go through. Uh, these other sessions through this weekend and, um, and just kind of 
build on what I think Jeremy so brilliantly laid in terms of what it is we're called to. We're going to dig these ditches for revival. Then I'm guessing we've got to do something slightly different to what we've been doing because we've not yet seen revival. And so that's going to require change. And change equals pain. I'm just putting that out there. And I haven't got, I haven't got time to go through that. But that's the reality. And if you want a really good book to read, it's called Leadership Pain. It's not a book that kind of gets a lot of press, thinking, oh, you know, you know, how to change the world for Jesus. You think, yeah, leadership pain. Let's get that one. I'll go over that. It's fantastic. And there's a couple of um, quotes in there. Keep going, Josh, and I'll tell you to stop when I get to one I fancy. Keep going. Oh, that was a good one. Go back to that one. Neil Cole said this, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing, its disciples. Your church is only as good as her disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, your preaching, your programs, or your property are. Check out the peas. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumeristic, and not radically obedient, your church is not good. That smints a bit, doesn't it? Quickly moving on. (laughs) Here we go. Pain isn't the enemy. The inability or unwillingness to face pain is a far greater danger. And basically, the bottom line of this book is, is your church will only grow to the threshold of your pain limit. So don't pray that the pain will go, because it it won't. Trust me, I've tried. What we need to ask is, is for a greater threshold in that pain. Quickly, quickly. Oh, there's a good one. We catch flack for bad decisions because people blame us. And we even get criticism even for good decisions because we've changed the beloved status quo. Change will equal pain. Keep going. Where's my Bob Marley quote? Because he's a deep theologian. There we go. Truth is everybody's going to hurt you. You've just got to find the ones worth suffering for. I'm not sure if he's written a book you could read about that, Jeremy. I don't, I'm not sure. Keep going. No, no, keep going. We don't like that one. Keep going, keep going, keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll send these out. These are very good. But basically, pain is your greatest teacher. Let your vision drive you. Have a righteous personal development plan for dealing with pain. It is a fantastic book. It really, really is. It's helped me enormously. Um, and... The honest, honest truth is, is that those squares and doing all of that, we started that at the beginning of last year, and it has been painful. Because what happens is, we did what you did. So once we kind of saw this, you think, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Let's get pictures of the squares and let's do all of that, which you've all done. It's great. I can see what's happening. You are heading for a world of pain. I'm just being truthful with you. It has been a painful journey trying to implement this. Because nobody likes change. It equals pain. You get blisters from digging ditches. It hurts. I'm going to leave you for that for dinner. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I'll bring you all back to a place of joy in the next session I promise you I promise you
I promise you. But actually, if we're going to dig these ditches, if we're going to do things from a kingdom perspective, we're going to change the way we do things, it will hurt. You'll get blisters. You'll be feeling them for days. But actually, God is with us. He's good. You know, he never does anything without first revealing his plans to his prophets. It's coming. It's coming. And we've got to be ready. And I believe there's opportunity for God to kind of help us dig those ditches, show us where to do and what we've got to do to get there. Amen. Great.